Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to the Living with Amun Ashir. Thank you for your flexibility, Baruch Hashem, for a good reason. We'll be traveling back from a wedding. So I uh, can't do the Shir Wednesday morning. Appreciate everyone's flexibility moving it to this morning. And it's great to see those in person and those who are only able to watch online wherever they are. We wish them lots of bracha v'hatzlacha. The Amun Ashir this morning is generously sponsored by Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit. In memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Shanzer, we remain very, very grateful to the Morgans for their generosity. Okay, we've got a lot, to, a lot to cover, a lot to learn. Baruch Hashem, the emails have been flowing in. I love when people share their Emunah story. It is able to take our learning and to uh, apply it, to manifest it into action and to inspire and elevate all of us to do the same. That the Emunah is not just theoretical or abstract or conceptual, it's not just academic, there's a God, we can study the evidence, here's the proof, here's the, uh, I'm not trying to make the argument for his existence, but how can we know it in our kishkas? How can we feel it? How can we can express it? How do we talk to him? How do we hear him talking to us? How do we live with Hashem on a regular basis? I want to share with you this morning, got a lot of emails to catch up, we're not going to read them all today, but I want to share one from one of our members and our friend, and I believe he says we could use his name. This was written uh, a long time ago. I always wondered when people say Gamzilatova. The simple translation is this too is good. I always thought that the English translation of it is for the best was equally strange. It seems like an expression to help rationalize or explain that you didn't get something that you wanted. Like a child who asks for their favorite red lollipop and is given a yellow or green one instead. Or you lose a bid for a house you wanted or you didn't get the promotion you thought you wanted and you were in contention for. So Gamzilatova, you reluctantly accept, you resign yourself, you hide your potential disappointment. You know what I mean? It happens to everyone many times in life. You read many stories of people, often gedolim, for which an incident happened and it changed their life in some way. And you wonder about it. I'm a God-fearing Orthodox Jew, but also a scientist, rational human being who needs to have things proven to him. I'm going to tell you a real story, writes the author. A story someone you know. Someone who's a believer in Gams Latova, as well as personal God, oversight, Ashkach Pratis. I'll also give you my name, but I'm not going to read it because I don't have total confirmation to use it. Story begins at the end of March 2015, before Pesach. I'd caught a cold and I had a small pain in my side, I went to the doctor who prescribed antibiotics for the cold and after looking at my side, noticed a rash and quickly diagnosed it as shingles. But I complained. I had taken the shingles shot three years ago. It's not 100% effective, said the doctor. It looks like a mild case. It should be done within three to four weeks. He prescribed an antivirus pill, told me to take a leave in Motrin for the pain and said he'd add to the regimen if it got worse. Over the next few days, it got progressively and exceedingly worse. I couldn't sit or lie down for any long period of time without pain. I called the doctor and he prescribed a heavy-duty painkiller and another drug to soothe the nerves that had been inflamed by the shingles. The satyrs were difficult as I would stand and walk around frequently. Just to ease the pain, the pain was getting worse. I called the doctor again after Pesach and he told me to increase the frequency in which I take the painkiller. I asked if there's any possibility there was another problem that was causing the pain. His reply was the chances of another problem in the exact same area was one in a million. The pain will start to decrease soon, he promised. Two weeks later, I called the doctor again, since I saw no relief and the pain was as bad as ever. I sounded like it was a fetch or a complainer. The doctor saw me a few days later and said, it was clear to him it was shingles. There was no other organ near where I was complaining about the pain. He reiterated that the chances of another issue were slim, now saying it was one in 10 million. However, given how long the pain had persisted and how I felt the doctor relented, he scheduled a CAT scan for the following week to make sure he was not overlooking anything. Doctor called me four hours later after the scan was completed and told me good news and bad news. The good news is there's nothing near where I'm complaining about the pain. But the bad news is there is a tumor on one of my kidneys. I should see a urological surgeon as soon as possible. <coughs> Thank you for the sound effects. 
Very helpful. The urologist said, <gasps> the urologist said, it's an incidental or accidental finding, a tumor. So I say, what is an incidental finding? He says, it's something that we find only accidentally. There's no blood test or other standard test that would uncover it. It can be a killer tumor that grows very slowly. It is nearly always malignant, and 99% of the time it does not spread to other organs, nodes, bones, or anything else until it's much larger. Mine was small at this time. He was surprised that the pain encouraged the doctor to order the CAT scan, but said the urologist, I was very lucky. Tumors contained relatively small can be easily removed. So why did Hashem make me suffer with shingles pain for weeks? The answer, Gamzulatova. If I hadn't suffered, I would have never gotten the CAT scan. The tumor would have never been uncovered. Do I believe that? Absolutely. The pain dramatically decreased within two days after the scan was taken. It had done its job warning me. Was the shingles pain for the best? Unfortunately, I must say yes. So how am I? No surgery is minor, no surgery is pain-free. Mine was no exception. The tumor the size of a quarter was removed. I had my share of ups and downs. I'm writing this note three weeks after the surgery. This was written a long time ago. With the tumor gone, I'm doing the things I used to do, certain activities, still cause me pain, but the light at the end of the proverbial tunnel is there. Like any other medical issue, the doctor will monitor me over time, but there are no other treatment plans are expected. I think back over this episode and I'm grateful. At the end of Shemot Esri and Rosh Hashanah, we say, may you cleanse us with abundant mercy, but not through suffering or serious illness. No question I had some suffering but it was clearly through abundant mercy. Without the shingle suffering, things could have been a lot worse. Yes, I plan to dance quite a bit at my daughter's upcoming wedding, Mazel Tov, which happened a few years ago. So when something annoying happens to you, don't be too quick to ignore the message. Hashem is watching over you personally. Gam zu Latova. So it's quite an amazing story. Instead of why me, why me suffering the shingles, shingles pain was the best thing that ever happened. Had he not had the pain, he wouldn't have insisted on the CAT scan. The CAT scan, the tumor had nothing to do with the shingles or the pain. They were totally unrelated. It was an incidental finding that was precipitated only by the pain of the shingles that brought about that, that discovery. And Baruch Hashem, it did for that person. Again, our gamzlotova, our suffering, it doesn't always reveal itself in that moment. Four hours after his CAT scan, it became very clear why he was in pain. We often can go four weeks, four months, four years, four decades, or four lifetimes without knowing why we had to endure the pain that we endured. But... That attitude or that perspective, the Gams Latova, the living with Amuna is, I don't know why, I don't welcome it, I don't want it, but it's not random. Nothing is random. Everything is for a reason. It's all curated and choreographed from above. Everything is carefully, carefully designed from Hashem. And even the suffering, not only the pleasure, but even the suffering is somehow, somehow for our best. Sometimes it's revealed to us why, and most often it's not. But if we go through it with the attitude and the mentality of Gamzilatova, Hashem, this is your ride. It's your adventure. I'm just along. And I can't wait to see and discover what's going to happen and maybe even understand one day why. But until then, it can give us the courage and the faith and the fortitude and the resilience to get through and go through whatever we need to in life, even as difficult as it is. Shall I read one more before we get into the... Okay. I know you don't even come for me. You don't even come for the Torah. You come for the stories. I'm basically just a conduit to share Emuna stories each week. It's my greatest honor and pleasure. Okay, we'll read another one. I've been listening to your Emunah and Parsha for years. Weekly ministers really helped me in difficult time, blah, 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 blah. I want to share a story that hasn't yet come to the happy ending, but that my husband and I have been working through. Tell me if I read this one last week. I don't remember. Or two weeks ago? After our third child, we discovered we were both carriers of the same genetic mutation and realized we need to do PGD for future pregnancies. I didn't read it. PGD is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. Thank God we live in miraculous times where when people are carriers, even of a genetic disease, we have the ability in a laboratory for conceived embryos to examine them 
and only implant the one or ones that don't carry that disease. So whereas previously, I grew up, I had a rabbi, we had a rabbi growing up, who unfortunately he and his wife were both Tay-Sachs carriers and the whole community suffered with them and felt their pain when several times they had Tay-Sachs babies that didn't make it. It's tragic. Today, fast forward, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, we have medical breakthrough with the gift of Hashem. PGD, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, a couple do IVF and they examine the embryos and they look for the healthy ones and they only implant the healthy ones, eliminating the possibility of carrying one that has a genetic disease or a genetic mutation. Interesting, fascinating halachic questions arise because once you're examining them, can you decide you're gonna put in the boy or the girl? Can you decide you're gonna put in the blonde hair or the, or the brunette? Can you decide to examine for athleticism, artistic ability or intelligence, how ethical to go through the embryos and not only choose when you're testing the genetics, which one doesn't have the disease, once you're testing the genetics, can you say this one's gonna be 6'3", this one would be four foot nine, no judgment. I'm not even gonna say which one you would wanna put in. How's that for no judgment? But how far can you take once you have the genetic understanding? It's very interesting. So the author of this email writes that after the third child, they are both carriers of the same genetic mutation. This past month, we started the exhausting regimen of daily injections and driving every other day to the best hospital an hour and a half away. Simultaneously, our semi-attached neighbor has been in the middle of a giant renovation, and we've been working tremendously hard to be flexible with the inevitable challenges that occur when living on a construction site. When we returned from our egg retrieval procedure, we discovered a wall between our properties that was not the type that we had agreed inside upon, a wall that built improperly on our side. Things started to escalate as we demanded the wall be rebuilt according to the plans, yet we tried so hard to think of the long-term relationship that we wanted to preserve post-renovation. Within the craziness, my son had surgery Sunday morning, which, thank God, ended up being less invasive than planned. While sitting in the waiting room, we spoke about another couple that we had met at the hospital, also doing PGD, and my husband shared that he's been dominating for them since then. Later that night, my husband and I sat down considering our options to deal with the neighbor's situation. I told him what you shared about Rabbi D. Remember we spoke a few weeks ago, Rabbi D., that quote, if you'd pay a shiva call years later, don't sever the tie in the first place, right? That there were friends he had online who they had stopped talking to one another during Corona because they had different views of the lockdown and shutdown and they didn't talk. And then when three of his family members, his wife and two daughters were murdered, those same friends now came to pay a shiva call. And one of the many, many incredible messages that Rabbi D shared publicly during shiva and after is, if you'd pay a shiva call to someone, if they lost a good part of their family to a terror event, then don't wait for that to happen to talk again. Don't not talk in the first place. That's a message. I went upstairs and my husband sat alone, working really hard to be mevater, to be forgiving, foregoing. When he told me he was ready to be mevater, I said to go back downstairs and down for the other couple's success at PGD. Because when you are mevater or silent, when you could hit back, it's a special time for tefillah. We have, I'm gonna intersperse this email with some thoughts and sources, but the Gemara tells us that a person, Olam, a person should always be should always be among those who when insulted, just absorb it, just accept it, just receive it, and never lash out back. You got a nasty text, you got a strongly worded email, you got a harsh phone call, someone in a meeting or a public place unloaded on you. In that moment, you could go one of two ways. You could decide, yeah, you started with me, you have no idea who you're messing with. I'm gonna punch back twice as hard. I'm gonna escalate the entire thing. I'm gonna write something even stronger. I'm gonna badmouth you even worse. I'm gonna scream even louder. I'm gonna punch even harder. Or, Chazal say, you can show you're really stronger than the other party. How do you show you're stronger than the other party? Scream louder, punch harder, 
you show you're stronger than the other party when you have the capacity to just stay quiet. We say in our davening every day in Az Yashir, Micha Mocha Be'ilim Hashem. And the Gemara says, Micha Mocha, not Be'ilim Hashem, who is as strong as you, but Micha Mocha Be'ilmim. The word Ilim means mute, silent. Who is as strong as you, God? That you remain silent and nobody could punch back harder than God. When Titus Arasha, Titus, the wicked general, entered the Beis Hamikdash and desecrated it, when he slept with a harlot on an open Sefer Torah in the Kodesh HaGadashim, whatever you can imagine is the worst sin a person could do as an affront to blaspheme the Almighty, he did that and more. That Baruch Hashem, your imagination can't go. And what did Hashem do in response? What did Hashem do in retaliation? What did Hashem do in revenge? Gornished. Nothing. It was quiet. Until years later when he had a little gnat crawl into the ear and ring in his ear incessantly that ruined his life. We have a disease named for Titus today called tinnitus. There's an article in a medical journal that argues that the etymology, the origin of the name tinnitus is from Titus, Titus HaRasha, this gnat that God had crawl into his ear because harbe shluchum lamakom. God can take you down in many ways, including a little fly, a little gnat can be an agent of the Almighty. He can use in whatever he wants as a medium. So the Gemara concludes that just like Hashem, you're insulted, you just take it in stride. You don't have to lash out back. You don't have to respond. You don't have to respond. You know, I only learned recently that not every text or email deserves a response. I used to think, I, have to, I pride myself in trying to get back to everyone. Trying to get back to everyone. And there's so many mediums and things come through in so many ways. It's hard, but trying to get back to everyone. And then you realize, you know, only people who speak to you respectfully deserve a response. Not everything needs or deserves the response. Micha mocha be'ilmim. Ne'en The Chavetz Chaim quotes a tradition that if a person is insulted, if a person is offended, if a person is hyper-criticized unjustly, publicly, in an embarrassing way, and you don't answer, ooh, there's no bigger school in the world. That person is right then empowered with an incredible capacity to give a bracha. Go get a bracha from such a person in that moment. You're insulted and you don't strike back. You just absorb it. It's fine. Someone hangs a poster of you. Someone writes something untrue online about you. Somebody sends something nasty to you. Okay. Okay. It's actually today's dafyomi. Today's dafyomi had an amazing uh, story. It was talking about the humility of one of the great rabbis who said, I thought I was humble until I came across somebody else and I realized what humility really is. And what was the story about the other party? The other party gave a shear. And in the old days, they would give shear and there was a maturgaman. Right next to them, there was a translator, a person who would make accessible the teaching to the masses, the maturgaman, the translator. So the wife of the magad shear and the wife of the maturgaman are speaking. And the wife of the maturgaman, the translator, says to the wife of the one giving the shear, says, you know... My husband is as smart, smarter than your husband. He doesn't really need to translate. He really knows it without your husband saying it. He just plays that role right now. So the other wife comes home and says, could you believe what she told me? Could you believe how she's insulting you? And you know what he answered? It's a great expression. I once wrote an article about this. She answered, what other people say about me and think about me is none of my business. What do we care? What's the difference? So he thinks that he knows the Torah as well, that he could give the shear? Maybe he can. Who cares? What he thinks, what she thinks, is none of our business. What other people think about me is none of my business. Keep your head down. Do your thing. You have to live with what the Almighty thinks. If you're married, you have to live with what your spouse and family think. And that's what you should care about. When you look in the mirror, can you live with yourself? 
Can you live with Hashem? Can you live with your loved ones? What the person who hung the poster? What the person who writes the nasty thing? What the person who sent the text? What they think about you? It's none of your business. It's none of your business. Okay, back to our story, back to the email. So what's, that's, that's all the background. That, that he had decided he would be Mavater, the neighbor. The neighbor did something unjust, built something improper, and he decided that he was going to be Mavater. He'd let it go. Just let it go. Don't pursue it. Let it go. And the moment of letting it go was the moment to draw from the power of the bracha. He would daven for that other couple who need the PGD, the pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. The next morning, my husband dealt with more issues from the neighbor. Then I got a phone call from the hospital informing me that none of the embryos made it. And there were no available appointments to meet with a doctor for another few months to even consider trying again. I sat there stunned. I said, how am I going to tell my husband after last night's conversation? Remembering the example that you told almost every week, I called my husband and I said, you know how everyone loves Hashkacha Pratt's story of the man who missed the airplane that ended up crashing, but no one tells the story of the man on standby who got the seat and died in the crash? Well, once upon a time, there was a couple who were mevater to their neighbors and who davened for another couple, but they still didn't get a perfect Hashkacha Pratt's ending. And this is our Amuna story and our Amuna challenge. And we're going to get through this together, she told her husband. We felt a hug from Hashem the next day when we realized how he plants people in your lives for when you need them most. Months ago, our original intake nurse at the hospital had given me her cell phone number in case of an emergency. I called her and she managed to get me an appointment for next week instead of midsummer. Our story doesn't have a perfect ending yet, but my husband said that of the three crises of the week, the fact that our son's surgery went perfectly without any complication is the most important bracha we could have had. Thank you for the weekly shirim and chizik. I can't imagine how I would handle the roller coaster of the past few weeks without the ideas and stories echoing my head from years and years of learning with you. So, you know, what's amazing about the stories we're reading lately is the people are not sending in Amuna stories of, and then I found $2,000 in the street. <laughs> and then I got a call, we dove in for the other, we let go with the neighbor, and we were pregnant. We're reading Amuna stories that have a stinky ending, that hurt, that are miserable, that are painful. And listen to these people. I I'm just giving the sheer. It's easy what I do. The people who are putting into practice, not with the good story. And let me tell you, in the end, they found the tumor. And not, I'm not knocking the first story. It was also amazing. Gamzilatova. I suffered. It was miserable. But Baruch Hashem, they found the tumor and I'm well. That's a story that has a happy end. Baruch Hashem. But also these emails, and there's more. But I want to get into the text. There's more. The stories of the people who say it stinks. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. I daven. The answer was no. And there was no again. And even when I thought it'd be yes, it was no again. But you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I'm leaning in. I'm doubling down. I'm digging in my heels because I need him more than ever. And I know with confidence that there is a reason that I'll one day learn. And the story is not over yet. It's also important to remember. Our stories are not over yet. If we woke up this morning, Rabbah Emunasecha, Hashem has great faith in you and in me, and our story is not over yet. Yet, there are more chapters to be written. The book is not closed. Our story is not over yet. And so we daven, we daven for these people, they should have a baby, we daven for everyone, they should be healthy, we daven, we daven and daven and daven for all these stories that they should have that end, that the next chapter should be filled with brach and atzlach and simcha and mazel and parnasa and gezunt and shaduchim and children and everything, everything, everything good. But these stories are absolutely incredible. Back to Tifa Emuna. We're learning Rav Gamliel, Rabbi Novitz, Tifa Emuna, and we're in the middle of this paragraph on page Pei, we're on Ahmed Pei, page 80. The Bashemtov. Tov. Visartem 
We say in Shema, if you pivot, if you turn, and you worship other gods. What do you mean? You put down the Siddur and you picked up a New Testament? You put down the Siddur and you picked up a Koran? You put down the Siddur and you bow down and worshiped an idol, a piece of stone? Says the Baal Shem Tov. No. You know what the V'yavaratem Elohim Acherim is? What does it mean that you serve another god? Because V'sartem, because you pivoted and you turned and you stopped thinking about Hashem. At no point in the day do you put him down. When you walk into the boardroom or the operating room, when you walk into the courtroom, when you walk into the gym or you walk into the supermarket, when you walk into the doctor's office, wherever you are, he's by our side. We're talking to him and we're listening to him talk to us. We're protesting and objecting and we're also thanking him because we can find even the good of the three crises. At least the most important one came out, Hashem, wow. Not, why'd you make my son have to go through the surgery, but thank you, Hashem, that the surgery went well. We take him and we talk to him wherever we go, wherever we are, at all times. Shivisi Hashem lenegdi samin. Shivisi. Hashem, you're opposite me always. Last week we spoke about a mother is always thinking about her children. The maternal instinct, she could be on vacation, she could be on business trip. Her children could be 80 and she's 105 and she still can't fall asleep till she knows they're safe. Where are they? Is everything okay? Because a mother is always thinking about her children. And similarly, we should always be thinking about Hashem. It's part of our identity. You can never tell a mother, right now you're not a mother. You're just on vacation with me. Let go of the children. They're fine, I'm sure. She says, what are you talking about? I'm always a mother. I can never, ever be separated from that identity. It's part of who I am. It's part of who I am. Notice I'm giving the example of the mother, not the father. When he plays golf, he has no clue he has children. When he's learning the chavrusa, he has no clue he has children. When he's negotiating the business deal, he never heard of his children. But the mother, Baruch Hashem for mothers. Baruch Hashem for mothers. So v'sartem. You know when it's avaratem alohim acherim, when are you worshiping another god? Simply by turning away. Simply by getting distracted. Simply by thinking that there's some other source, there's some other power. Like we spoke about, Rav Gamliel told us, we lived and learned in Teva Amunah when we first started learning this. If someone were to say to you, where do you get your paycheck? Before we learned this, I would have said, Boker Raton Synagogue. Dan Kaskel and Hami Tannenbaum. Where do I get my paycheck? Boker Raton Synagogue. Baruch Hashem, the beautiful membership, the congregation, Boker Raton Synagogue. That's wrong. Where do I get my paycheck? Hashem. He sends me by Parnassah. Who did he choose to use to give me my Parnassah? Boker Raton Synagogue. We have to intuit, we have to instinctively answer that way. Where do that? It's Hashem. Everything is Hashem. Hashem is amazing. Hashem is amazing. This weather, this last two weeks, we thought it was the summer, we thought it was all over. Every time you walk outside right now, and you feel that breeze, Hashem's giving you a hug. Hashem's everywhere. Just keep saying, thank you, Hashem. Halavai vaita, let it continue, this great weather. Let it continue. We're not visartem. So you're going for a walk outside, and you notice it's not yet summer, even though Pesach time we thought it was already. Don't be visartem. Don't turn away and say, ah, good weather, climate change. Who knew? It's still cool. Say, thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Shivisi Hashem. The message of Zod HaMelech to Shlomo was, know that there is a God. Duh, no. Now we said in Siddur Snippets last night, Siddur Snippets and Amunah come together, we dive in Atachon in Adam Das, and the Sfarad version as, give us Chochma Bina Udas. Give us What's the difference between the three? Spoke about last night. But da'as is to know God intimately. 
Not to know God theoretically or conceptually, not to know God as a piece of information, to know God in a way that leads to transformation. How do you know God? You just talk about him, he's theoretical when you have to do Chumash homework with your kid, when it's time to dive and you turn the pages and say, God, 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 blah, 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 God. Or do you know God? Do you know God when your car gets hit, your brand new car, hit and run? Do you know God when the embryo news comes back disappointing? Do you know God when you're suffering with shingles? Do you know God when there's good news, Baruch Hashem, incredible news, and your first reaction is, oh, amazing Hashem. To know God intimately, personally, in a connected way. The Ramah writes, the very beginning, the code of Jewish law begins, wake up in the morning and start your day by knowing you're a mother. You're a mother. Don't ever stop thinking, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a husband, whatever your identity, it's a core identity. It should be in the background. It should be animating and informing all you do and all your day. And similarly, and even beforehand, and even more importantly, you wake up in the morning and you say, ah, this world is not random. There's no nature. This isn't chance. There's a Hashem. And Hashem, you're opposite me always today. I can't stop thinking about you today. I can't stop thinking about you. That's the Ramah. Shulchan the code of Jewish law begins before Shabbos, before Yom Kippur, before Kippur Kosher, before Tarot Mishpacha, before all the laws of Jewish law, the first halacha of the day, and it's a halacha. The same way you have to make a bracha before you have pizza, the same way that you can't turn on a light on Shabbos, same way that you can't eat a cheeseburger, Shivisi Hashem the Negdi Summit is a halacha. You wake up in the morning and it is the first statement of Jewish law. Because you're never sitting alone. You think you're by yourself in a room. You think you're sitting alone. You think you're in the car by yourself. You're never alone. You're never, ever, ever alone. He's by your side. You would never, ever watch or listen or speak or say or do or express judgment when you are by alone the same way you would in front of the king in front of aristocracy, in front of royalty, with the funny hat and the golden globe thing and the <laughs> interesting rituals. You would never, you would never. So we need to know that we're sitting with the king all day, every day. When you realize he's looking over your shoulder, he's checking out how you're going to react, how you're going to respond. Someone's cursing you out, somebody wrote a nasty text, somebody's being really unfair. And Hashem is right by your side and He's holding you. He's holding you. You know, sometimes uh, NBA playoffs are going on right now. They can get pretty heated. And there's certain players who are the most reactionary. Let's say have the most technical fouls in a season. And every time there's an interaction with a, another player, you know, they start going at each other as if they're going to go in a fight. And what do you see? The coach runs on the floor. He doesn't want this player to get thrown out. He doesn't want to be suspended. We're in the playoffs. We can't afford to lose him. What do they do? The coach runs on the floor and grabs the player and holds him back and starts pulling him back to the bench. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Thank you. So there's an altercation about to occur and the coach runs on the floor and grabs the player and pulls him away. Don't respond. Don't say a word. Don't raise a fist. I can't afford to lose you. You can't afford to lose yourself. So that's the image I have. Somebody writes you something nasty. They say something strong. They treat you in an unfair way. They hang a poster outside their house about you, theoretically. Someone does something strong against you. Someone does something very strong against you. 
Kirsch Baruch Hu runs onto the floor and he grabs your arms and he pulls you away and says, don't do it. You got this. It's okay. Hold yourself back. Control yourself. Don't lose yourself. Let me take care of this. Don't worry. Kirsch Baruch Hu holds us back. Don't answer. Just absorb the blow. What other people think about you is none of your business. He's in charge. He's in control. In my short life, yes, I still consider myself young. In my short life, every time I've done that, Hashem knows exactly what He's doing. Just get out of the way and let Him do His thing. You think you're going to get revenge? You're going to get even? You're going to show the other person? When you do that, all you do is escalate things and you both lose. You both lose. Both parties lose. There's nothing, nothing worse than machlokas. I was just dealing, fortunately I spend too much time mediating these fights, and I was just dealing with one. of two people going at it, and I'm, I said to one, it's like, what are you doing? You both have so much bracha in your life. They're fighting over another person. What's right, what's just, what's appropriate. You both, Baruch Hashem, happily married, beautiful, healthy families. Both are, by society's definition, materially wealthy. Your lives are filled with such bracha. You know what the number one thing that gets rid of bracha is? The number one kryptonite or contamination, the number one thing that compromises and corrupts bracha and kills a person is getting involved in machlokas. It's taking a side, escalating, sending texts, trying to recruit people. Machlokas destroys. What are you doing? What are you doing? And the machlokas. You have a move to fight for justice, so intervene in a way which is going to settle and solve, not which is going to escalate and make worse. End it. So when a person has mistreated you, when there's something unjust to you, I'm not talking about financially. If somebody's stolen from you or damaged you, you're entitled to compensation. But even then, don't lose yourself emotionally. Don't write or say nasty things. Just do what you're entitled to do legally to recover what's coming to you. If someone slammed your car, somebody borrowed money and didn't return it, someone was dishonest with your investment in business, you're entitled to get your money back. But at that time, even so, don't talk to anyone about it, don't say anything about it, don't call the person a name. Don't get emotionally involved. Every time in my life someone I thought mistreated me, Kodesh Baruch just get out of the way. Don't try to, just get out of the way, just stay quiet. Hashem has incredible ways of working. When you get involved, you're just getting in His way. So who would you rather take care of it? The infinite, omnipotent, all-powerful God who sees and knows all, or you? Pathetic, lowly, icevarf, emotional, can't control yourself, has bad judgment, makes terrible mistakes, mere mortal, finite. Who, should, who, who would you rather take it? Just get, let the coach hold you back. Walk away. Just walk away, take a few deep breaths, catch yourself, because shivisi Hashem l'negdi samid. Just picture Hashem, just picture that scene. Hashem is grabbing you, He's pulling you away from the altercation, He's holding you back, He says, come back to the bench. Come back to the bench, I got this. Just stay out of it. I'll take care of it. I got this. I got this. When a person puts in their heart that Hashem who fills the whole world with His glory. So you're right, when you feel like I'm on my own, there are people like that. There are people like that who say, you know, I'm a survivor. From when I was a little kid, I had to fight for myself. There are, there are many people who have very difficult, complicated upbringings and backgrounds, and they had to fight for themselves from they were very young. And they say, you know, they use that very language. They say, you know, I've had to fend for myself since as far back as I can remember. Since as long as I can remember, I had to fend and fight for myself. And such a person, understandably, is scrappy and is a fighter. But you have to remind them you were never, ever alone. Maybe there were a lot of people who abandoned you, who failed you. And for that, our heart goes out and you deserved so much better. But you were never, ever, ever alone. Because a Yid is never alone, a Jew is never alone. 
Hashem sees and He cares and He knows and He's been by your side and He's gotten you to this point and He's going to take you to the next one. So don't ever think there's no one you could trust because people who went through that, have that background, struggle to trust anyone in their life. People who have been abandoned, struggle to trust that the next person won't abandon them. They struggle to have meaningful relationships in marriage and parenting and friendship and partnership because they struggle. But you need to know that there is someone who's never abandoned you, who never would and never will. Kodesh Baruch Hu is always by our side. As the Pasuk says in your Miyahu, person would then live with the awareness and the knowledge and the shame and the resilience and the strength and the courage and the confidence and the faith. Hashem is always by my side. Whatever I have to encounter, whatever the bad news or the good news, whatever the simcha I'm waiting for, or whatever I need to navigate that's complicated in my life, to know that everything is for a reason. And when a person thinks about this, contemplates this, now it's very, very hard to do. It's very, very hard to do this. Another email writer wrote to me saying, I had the privilege of tuning into your living with Amunashir, blah, blah, blah. Thank you, blah, blah, blah. Regardless of the topic, having set time to focus on cultivating Amunah, reminding myself the concepts you focus on is exactly what I need midweek to keep me mindful and calm no matter what the week might look like. It's not midweek this week, I feel bad. It's the beginning of the week. It's good at the beginning of the week too. When you get the chance, I was wondering if you had any suggestions how to work on being mindful in the sense of being present, not necessarily in regard to being mindful or intentional in different things we might do, but focused on the here and now. I find it can be challenging to stay rooted in all the brach of the moment and not let my mind wander to the unknowns or doubts of big picture life experiences, dreams, expectations, even if I'm able to be makabal Hashem's ratzon in smaller, more concrete moments when things do or do not go the way I hope. I am familiar with secular psychological mindfulness, but in a non-meditative or clinical sense, I was wondering if you have any suggestions. So basically, great shear, and in the shear, I'm with you. I'm right there, 100%. Whatever's going on in my life, it's all from you. I'm able to absorb it. I'm able to integrate it. I'm able to process it. But then in the moment, you go back to life, and now something frustrating happens. The kid leaves the room a mess. The doctor comes back with not such great news. You got stuck at the red light. You missed the flight. All the things that life throws your way. All the things that life throws your way. Somebody hits your car, hit and run. So in those moments, how do you be mindful? How do you be mindful even, not in that moment, when you're cooking for Shabbos or you're sitting at your computer answering email and your mind is racing to dreams, hopes, your mind is racing to disappointments, failures. How do you remain mindful of emuna to integrate it in a meaningful way? So first of all, that's what, exactly what we've been learning. Shivisi Hashem, then I to practice Shivisi. Hashem is opposite me always. Our Shabbat Shuvah I think this last year, we incorporated this wonderful book. I'll post it, Belina, there in the, in the WhatsApp group. Um, Hishtavos, how to practice Shivisi, Hishtavos in life and the benefit of it. And we shared many excerpts from an incredible book that has approbations from both the greatest rabbis of our generations and Deepak Chopra. Not a lot of great books have such diverse haskamas. This one does, very diverse haskamas. I'll share it in a very practical way, how to practice hishtavas, how to be present, how to be mindful, how to be able to live life daily, where it's not that I panic or I fear or I cry or I'm anxious, and then I go to shear once a week that gets me back to neutral. And then I panic and I fear and I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm excited and I'm exhilarated. And then I go to the Amunah shear once a week and it brings me back to neutral. That's not a healthy way to live. How do I take the shear, not the shear, how do I take the substance, the Torah that we're learning so that it's not information but transformation, that it changes me the whole week as I'm living with whatever is coming my way. 
which includes, by the way, people in our life. How do we, when people are disappointing us in the way they're acting and reacting, that we are able to maintain our, our composure in the way, I'm not just talking before Ne'elavamein and Ovam, when we absorb the people who insult us, I mean the people who are supposed to be closest to us. How are we mevater? How do we find the strength to be foregoing in that moment? How do we lean in with Amuna that, Hashem, had, I thought this was going to go one way, Hashem had different plans, and he chose my spouse or child to express his different plans of how it would go. How can I navigate that communication, that relationship, that conversation in a healthier way? So believing in Hashem is enormously important in that. Dr. John Gottman, who you've always heard me quote, the great authority on marriage in our day, says that every fight, there was a conversation that needed to happen, but the fight happened instead. Every fight a couple have, you could expand it to every fight in general. Every time there's a fight, there was a conversation that needed to happen, but the fight happened instead. Emuna, believe it or not, maybe we'll get into this in the future, the role of Emuna in improving Shalom bias. But Emuna can help you avoid the fight and instead have the conversation. Have the healthy conversation instead of the unhealthy, the unhealthy sabotaging and destructive, the damaging, the damaging fight. So Shavisi, I'll, I'll, I'll post the link to the book. It's a really worthwhile book. So Shavisi, from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to sleep, we're constantly retraining our mind muscle memory, the muscle memory of emuna, that my reaction is going to be one of emuna, my processing be with emuna, the filter will be with emuna, the glasses I'm wearing to see and interpret and view the world is emuna, is Hashem. I'm not alone, I'm not going out alone, nothing's random, nothing's chance, but I'm living it all with emuna. Now there are a few other tips I'll give you in closing today in responding to this email. Um, one thing is our mind is always racing, we're always in movement. And if we want to be centered and grounded and mindful, sometimes we need to slow down. I know we need to slow down. We're always moving and running and racing. And this is damaging us in every which way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Physically, physically, studies show today that people are, our respiratory systems, our breathing is much too shallow for what it should be. Because we're literally running and racing and we're responding and we're going to the next thing, we're listening, we're talking, we're going, and we're emailing and we're scrolling. There's even evidence that we're looking down so much now at our devices that the airway is not as open and free as it needs to be. We're supposed to be looking up and experiencing and seeing the whole world and taking deep breaths and breathing deeply and restoring our neshama. And instead, we're looking down and we're scrolling and we're typing and we're not breathing. It's very shallow breathing and that has enormous physical consequences to our health and well-being. So, there are all kinds of apps for this these days. I don't get one penny from promoting them. You could set reminders on your phone. That's, the, that's when you know that as much as we've made progress, we are really pathetic. That we need to download apps that will set reminders on our phone. And you know what the reminder is? Breathe. Breathe. <laughs> Through history, did people need to be reminded to breathe? You talk about, talk about the auto, whatever the word is, system of the human body. Right? The spontaneous, the body knows to breathe on its own. You don't have to mindfully breathe until our generation that we're so distracted and so busy, we need to set reminders on our phone. Hey, brilliant one who invented ChatGBT and Waze and satellites and electric cars. Brilliant people, don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to breathe. That's how pathetic we are. Don't forget to breathe. But do it. Set the reminder. Breathe. Several times a day, stop. 
Do it right now. You'll feel how different you feel. You'll feel how alive you feel when you expand your lungs and you expand your chest and you take in that deep breath. Some of you just said, I didn't sign up for this for the Amunashir. <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. You know, I didn't tell you to sit on the floor in, you know, crisscross applesauce and hold your fingers and relax. relax. We're not going crazy here. We could. We're not going crazy here. We're not going crazy. But deep breaths, deep breath. I read a whole book a couple months ago called, I think it was called Breath, Breathing. It's an entire book with this person who took on, they were going to study, and they went to all these centers and laboratories and experiments and all about breathing, how to breathe, how you can control yourself when your pulse is racing. I employ it. Sometimes I'm in a situation where I'm speaking publicly and I get really nervous beforehand and my heart is like pounding out of my chest. And you can actually control that through breathing. Through breathing. You can control your pulse, which is also true when your husband or wife or child does something and also your heart is pounding out of your chest and your pulse is racing. Someone does something that disappoints you or frustrates you. There's news and you're about to you could use breathing to restore your calm, to center yourself, to get back to baseline breathing. That's why, what's the Hebrew word for breath? Neshima. What's the Hebrew word for soul? Neshama. Neshama. God put the soul in us through breath. He breathed into us. And we restore our soul when we breathe. So breathe. So set the reminder on your phone a few days, times a day, to just stop. Just stop and breathe. It's amazing how many days will go by and you don't do it. And you'll say, you know why you didn't do it? What's the number one reason people say I didn't do it? I didn't have time. You don't have time to breathe? How long does it take to breathe? I'm not, set a reminder on your phone for 60 seconds, for 30 seconds. If you do it for 10 seconds, there's value. Breathe in for, to, for, to count to five. This is a Navy SEAL technique, according to that book. Navy SEALs. You breathe in for five seconds, you hold it for five seconds, and you breathe out for five seconds. This is a machlokas, in through the nose, out through the mouth, or in through the nose, out through the nose, or in through the mouth, out through the mouth. It's a machlokas. But however you get it in and out, breathe in for five seconds, hold it five seconds, breathe out for five seconds. As I zucked the book, I think it's called Breath. I'll post it, Blinader, in the group as well. So breathe. Neshama neshima. Chazal knew this. Kol haneshama tahaloka, kol haneshima tahaloka. Not with all my soul, but with every breath I praise you, Hashem. With every breath, with all my soul. How do I praise you, Hashem? By making time in my day to breathe. When I'm racing and running and going and doing and looking and scrolling and buzzing and beeping and I don't even have time to breathe and to restore and to recenter and to recalibrate, I don't really love you. I'm not really praising you. So how do we achieve the mindfulness of Shivisi? How do we get to that place? I'm living with it. Just breathe, breathe. Several months ago, I started. I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect, but I'm much better than I thought I would be. Of every day trying to, in the middle of the day, go for a walk around the lake. I'm very blessed. I have an office that's right next to the lake. You could go off. It takes a couple minutes. Walk around the lake, one lap, and back. On good days, I leave my phone in the office, and I just go walk. And you know what I see? So the lake has ripples, and there's a fountain in the middle of it, and there's birds and iguanas and lizards and butterflies, and there's grass, and there's people and babies, nannies usually and babies, and, and their mothers thinking about the nanny and baby somewhere else. And you walk one lap, it's a few minutes, I come back a new person. And whatever I had to process about a meeting or an upcoming difficult meeting, or I need to formulate this drush, or the shear is not coming to me, or what should I write the article about, one lap, and all of a sudden you come to life. One lap, and you're, you're living again. And one lap, Hashem, in the leaf, and in the branch, and in the iguana, and in the butterfly, and the ripple of the, of the lake, of the, of the, it's amazing. 
It's amazing. Right in the clouds. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The breeze on your neck. So if you want to, it's muscle memory. You have to train over and over and over again. There's a muscle memory to live with Amuna. How to get to a place of how to react. We're going to be pro-Amuna people. This is another book that we once gave a Shabbat Shivadrush about, which was not the war, not the art of war, but the war of art. It's an amazing book, The War of Art. If you haven't read it, you have to read it. It's a book entirely about the Yetzirah and how to defeat, how to confront the Yetzirah. It's an incredible book by, um, I forgot his name. He's Jewish and I actually read the whole book and I said, he just described the Yetzirah. He calls it resistance, how to overcome resistance in your life. And then I Googled online and I found, because I looked up Yetzirah and his book, curious if anyone had made that connection. And you know who made the connection? The author, who's Jewish, and wrote an article in a blog once that the resistance is really the Yitzhar. Anyway, amazing, amazing book. So it's not, the, it's not the art of war, but the war of art. How to overcome the resistance, the resistance in our life. How to overcome that resistance. How to restore our, how to restore our life. How to overcome it. There's that voice of self-sabotage. How do you overcome that, that resistance, that Yitzhar in our lives? So it's the muscle memory. One of the themes of the book is, are you an amateur or are you going pro? What do you really care about? Are you going pro? You know the difference between a professional and amateur? The professional, professional golfer spends six, eight, 10, 12 hours a day pounding golf balls. They hit the same shot over and over again for hours and hours. You know why? You know what they're building? They're building muscle memory. So Sunday at the Masters in the 72nd hole, when they have to hit this 170 yard shot in, or they have to hit this delicate chip, or they have to hit a bunker shot, they don't tense up and they don't panic, I don't know what to do and there are millions of dollars on the line, you know what kicks in? Their muscle memory. I've done this a billion times. I've practiced this a billion hours. I don't even need to think about it. My muscle memory is gonna kick in. Every time you drive, you know what's happening? Are you thinking about, now I'm gonna push on the pedal, now I'll push on the brake, now I should move the steering wheel, now I, your muscle memory just kicks in. That's why we're able to talk on the phone or talk to the person next to us, or some people shave or apply makeup or do whatever else they're doing, <laughs> eat lunch while driving, why? because you've done it so many, so many, so many times that muscle memory kicks in. And our goal is when it comes to Amuna, stop being an amateur, it's time to turn pro. Muscle memory should kick in. So whatever you're confronting, whatever's going on in life, I don't have to navigate it or overcome it. All I need to do is the muscle memory kicks in. Okay, we went on way too long today, but tomorrow morning we're gonna have before the Parsha Shir, the 10 minutes of Bina Mitzvah Shasham. Parsha Shir tomorrow is on schedule 9.30, then a Mitzvah Shasham going for the wedding, and uh, Wednesday night, living Wednesday night behind the Bima, about back on schedule. But pay attention to the WhatsApp group because Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, there's so many simchas. Tonight, tomorrow, Lagba Omer. We didn't even talk about Lagba Omer and Rabbi Akiva's next batch of students and how Rabbi Akiva didn't give up and he started again. And uh, we have a bonfire and a concert tonight. Everyone's welcome to join us for Lagba Omer. But over the next couple of weeks, with Lagba Omer means the return of simchas. So I'm traveling, Baruch Hashem, for many simchas. So pay attention in the WhatsApp group to the schedule because it's going to fluctuate over the next few weeks. If you're not yet in the WhatsApp group, you want to join it, rabbiefrengoldberg.org slash WhatsApp. And uh, until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.